Knight during a delayed penalty. Neal shot, deflected, score! James Neal let it go during a delayed penalty and the first goal in Golden Knights history ties the game. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Kings. Riley Smith, right back the other way, comes David Perron with a wrist shot and he scores! David Perron, short side, and the Golden Knights win it in overtime, 3-2! Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Joining me now, all the way from Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, from the Sinbin blog, I have spent... Hours talking to this man about hockey. I find him fascinating. I hope you will too. Ken Bulky, how are you doing today, Ken? I am excellent, and I hope we spend many more hours in the future. I, that would nothing would bring me more joy. Uh, well, other than a third Stanley Cup for the Los Angeles Kings. But let, <laughs> let's get into the Golden Knights because when you and I spoke, I went on your podcast, and I think it was November, if I'm not mistaken, and the novelty had not yet worn off. There was still some question as to whether or not the Golden Knights were quote-unquote for real. Uh, At this point, (laughs) three-quarters of the way into the season, at the trade deadline, uh, the Golden Knights find themselves uh, in first place, if not in the entire league, certainly in their division. Um, And, I mean, you guys have been in first place in the division, not post-to-post, but pretty close to it, right? Yeah, they started out 8-1, and one, and then they went on a little bit of a slide on their first road trip, and I think that's when the Kings were hot. Mm-hmm. I don't think they've ever been further below, like, third. I'm pretty sure they've never been on the outside of the playoff picture. I think it's fair to, to refer to it as post-to-post, post, even if there was a weak stretch where they were a point behind or something, but... Basically... Just, pretty darn close. Yeah, though. leapt out to a, to a fast start and never really looked back. So, I mean, look... We, <laughs> This is the topic of conversation for devoted sports fans, casual sports fans. I have people coming up to me who who are just sort of marginally aware that sports even exist, asking me, you know, what the heck is going on with this Vegas team? So you watch this team in, you know, every day. Uh, you're you're friends with the owner. Um, what's going on with this Vegas team, Ken? They're really good. That's really all. That's you really a super have to say. annoying answer. <laughs> There, I mean, yeah, okay, so let me. Uh, so you want the more analytical answer? No, I want you to admit that they're cheating. <laughs> well, you, you, you stand by that. The goalies, uh, the goalies have come down. Fleury's not quite where he was. They're giving up a lot more goals at home. They've actually lost, like, I think they lost four times at home this year now. Perish the thought. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that they're, I think the, the real answer is just they don't have bad players. Yeah, they, they they tend to run out a group of players every single night on forward lines, all four or all three, yeah, all four of them, all three defensive pairings. And they just don't really have bad players. And when they do, they're able to kind of either not use them at all or hide them on a line with a couple of good players. And, and they have found a way to just be balanced. And usually they wind up having three better lines than the other team every single night. And that's a winning formula. Yeah, tied with Minnesota for fewest home losses at five. Um, that's pretty... Five. That seems yeah, high. Well, hey, two, two, and o- two in overtime and shootout, too, but I wasn't counting those. Yeah. So, so seven, really. But, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think that's what everybody's basically been saying, is the way the draft was rigged, uh, or not rigged, but <laughs> constructed. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a Freudian slip if I've ever heard one. <laughs> it was intentional, don't worry. Uh, but <laughs> but the way the draft was constructed, 
um, to allow Vegas to be more competitive than the average expansion team. I think what you said is exactly right, that they don't have any bad players. You and I have talked about this, and I've fought with people for years. You know, I call it my Trevor Lewis argument, that if you if you stock a roster with no weaknesses, you know, at the very least, um, it'll be difficult to lose. And so how much of this... So, so we've established that they don't have any bad players. But, but the question, now that Seattle's getting a team, and it's been said, well... I shouldn't say they're getting a team. Now it looks very much like Seattle will get a team. And the NHL has said that any expansion draft will be run the same way the one was was run for Vegas. The question I have is with a different management team, would Vegas have been able to compile a, a team as competitive? Was it was it just a function of the draft or did the or did Gallant and and the rest of the front office staff really do their homework and and you know, is it 50-50 front office and draft format, or is it sixty forty front office draft format? Mm. I mean, how much credit does the front office get for exploiting an opportunity? Because not everybody can. Man, that's a very, very challenging question. I, I'll I'll start with saying, I don't think it's replicable. I don't think you can just say, oh yeah, no, Seattle should be able to do the same thing. Right. I think the other the other part of it that's that's challenging is if Seattle comes in and their goal is to put a playoff team on the ice and and be somewhat similar to what the Golden Knights were in year one. If the rules stay the same, I don't think it's that far-fetched to say that they could build a playoff team out of the gates because I think you can get good talent. But what amazes me about the Golden Knights and the thing that I can't ever get over, and I think that it should scare the hell out of anyone else in the Pacific Division or the Western Conference, is they weren't trying to win this year. They had no intention to be good this year. Right. They were simply trying to pick players that would give them either future assets or players that they could make a part of the core in the future. When when they were done drafting, I think they thought maybe they had six to eight players that were going to be in the core of the roster. And now it's like 15 and it might be higher. And then you look at the three first round picks and then, you know, they have some other younger guys that are coming through. Nikita Gusev scored two goals in the gold medal game and, and two assists in the game-winning assists in the gold medal game. He's a Golden Knights prospect in theory if he ever decides to come over. So it's like it, it, you have to give, I think, most of the credit for the immediate success of the team actually on the ice and why they're possibly a Stanley Cup contender this year to Gallant more so than McPhee. Now, that doesn't take anything away from McPhee because – he built the roster right. and he gave him the players and then he makes moves like, oh, yeah, well, let's get rid of Calvin Pickard and bring in Malcolm Subban. And it worked. Let's pick up Ryan Carpenter off waivers. And it worked. Let's trade for Ryan Reeves. We'll see. I don't know about that one. But it's it's really tough to say what percentage goes where because it's kind of just been the perfect storm. So I think it's almost going to be unfair when Seattle comes in unless – they say, let's win right now, this year, and forget the future. We're going all in right away. Maybe they'll be competitive. I still doubt that they'll be where the Golden Knights are. Well, so, you know, what you said sort of speaks precisely to the question that I'm asking. And I, I don't know that there is an answer. And even if there is, we may never know it. But, you know, you said they weren't even trying to win. And to me, that implies heavily that this that the trick is precisely what i've been saying for years which is that if you construct a lineup that doesn't have obvious weaknesses 
that in itself is a strength. And that may be, you know, the, the, the entire crux of, of, um, advanced analytics, you know, and it was made so perfectly clear in the movie Moneyball for people who don't like to read, um, you know, that what you really want to do in order to compete is exploit, um, unrecognized, uh, market value. And, you know, I would ask you, so they don't have any bad players, but like, who's the best player on the team? Because if you look at most teams, I think you can construct, a, a, if not a player by player hierarchy, at least a cluster hierarchy. You know, we're on the Kings. You can say, okay, Dowdy, Kopitar, Quick, Carter. Those are your best players. Then, you know, your second best group of players is Muzzin, you know, Brown, Pearson, Toffoli, or maybe even just Toffoli, not Pearson. But, but I look at, the Golden Knights roster, and yeah, Marcia So is your leading scorer, but is he better than James Neal, who is your sixth leading scorer? You know, is is James Neal better than Alex Took? I mean, who's your best player? Is there one? The best player is is a collection of the line. the The line of Marcia Show, Carlson, and Smith has been has made all three of them significantly better than they've ever been. And they do things that are, in many ways, in hockey, unstoppable. They're they're quick. They're fast. They know where they are. Where they know what they're doing on the ice. They know where each other are. They make passes that shouldn't be made. They play defense. They play against the best line on the other team, and they make it work every single time. They're as a group. They're very, very good. And throughout this season, I think Marcia Show missed three games. That's it. Between the other two, they haven't missed a single game. So that makes a huge difference. I mean, you look at the Kings. You pull Jeff Carter out of the roster, yeah. and all of a sudden they don't look the same. You pull Quick out of the roster. It doesn't necessarily look the same. Did the Golden Knights look the same without Flurry? I don't think so. I would say he's up there as one of their best players. I mean, he's been tremendous since he's been, been in the goal. Are, would they be okay without him? Yeah, probably, but they wouldn't be as good as they are. So I think it's it's kind of that line and then... It's a huge cluster of above average to good. I think David Perron has surprised a lot of people. I think Neil is, is doing what Neil does. Hall has been a lot better. Tuck's been very good. And then the defensive core, they basically put out three lines that are one stay-at-home guy and one puck-moving type, offensively-minded type guy. And they do things that you want to do in hockey. You want to do as a quick, fast puck moving team. You you get up the ice, you make easy passes, and you make stretch passes, and you go from defense to offense quickly, and you score goals. That's it. It it really does come down to the fact that and they're not tired. They roll four lines. They they you know the they they had a game recently where somebody I think Mato and Lindbergh played like four minutes, and we all looked at the sheet and it like our eyes were lying to us We're like someone played four minutes this is completely wrong it just seemed impossible even when somebody plays seven we're like oh were there too many power plays today or what, 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 what seven it's a little weird a normal team they have somebody playing seven six no big deal this team doesn't do that so to answer the question the best player is the line of carlson marcel show and smith and without any one of the three they're not the same and then beyond that they just like you said, they're balanced. They don't have a bad player. So to your point about uh, consistency in the lineup, uh, the Golden Knights have used 26 skaters this season um, and five goalies. In comparison, the Kings have used 33. 
skaters. That's an extra seven guys. That's more than half mm-hmm. the forward core that have that have shifted in and out of the lineup for the Kings as compared to the Golden Knights. So I want to then transition into the trade deadline. There's a thought experiment that I am ridiculously fond of, and I, and I think it, it should be applied to sports in, in all sorts of manners, and it almost seems to be not done. And it's called the Ship of Theseus. And stop me if you've heard it, but the idea is, you know, Theseus is a Greek hero. He goes out on this quest with all of his men, and they leave on a boat. And during their journeys, they have to replace a piece of wood on the boat, right? They hit a rock or something, and they need to replace a piece of wood. And then they keep going, and they hit another rock, and they need to replace another wood. And by by the time they've returned home, piece by piece, they have replaced every piece of wood, in the boat. And so the question is when they come home, are they coming home on the same boat they left on or are they coming home on a completely different boat? And so my question is when you make one roster change, I think everybody gets it, right? You add Ryan Reeves at the trade deadline and nobody would say, "Oh, well, it's a different team." But my argument is it is a different team. Anytime you make a lineup change, it's a different team. Um and yet we play an 82 game season you know, where you use five different goalies and, you know, and four extra skaters. But but it seems to me that so much of the Golden Knights' success, or or I don't know how much it is, but it seems like at least some of it is tied into their identity. You know, what happened to the city right before the season started? Uh, they were all selected in the expansion draft, so, you know, at some level they all have something to prove they've been there together they've grown together they've built this identity together they've gone through the winning streaks together if you just sort of plug a guy in that didn't experience any of that do you not run the risk of tinkering with the chemistry never mind the fact that they're in first place and why would you mess with that anyway completely agree and and i think that you you can people are going to point at Ryan Carpenter, people are going to point at Malcolm Subban, people are going to point at the the Thomas Hika or whoever, Brad Hunt type of guys, guys that didn't play necessarily at the beginning, but then found their way in. But you're right, they're under the same pretense as everybody else. When Malcolm Subban got waived, they said, goodbye, we don't want you. When Ryan right. Carpenter got waived, they said, we don't want you. Uh, Ryan Reeves is the opposite. Ryan Reeves was a, a guy that was brought to back-to-back Stanley Cup champion Pittsburgh Penguins and was and basically they were told this is the guy that's going to help us get another one this is the difference maker that we needed that's going to help us get another one and now he comes to Vegas and I don't know it's it's is it a different team technically yes Uh, my, my my challenge is I think you can make moves that are like for like like if you told me you were going to fill in another five foot nine winger who can create scoring chances, doesn't necessarily play terribly much defense, but he's fast and gets in the right place and he may actually score some goals. In other words, Brendan Leipzig, but with the ability to score, I'm good with that. I can live with that. If you told me they're getting Eric Carlson and they're plugging him in where Shea Theodore is, I can live with that. You're not changing what you're doing. But Ryan Reeves is such a completely different style of player, and I think it's going to change one of the lines, and I think that will then roll over to changing the way that they play as a team. Is it Does it does it mean that the, the Marsha So Smith-Carlson line is all of a sudden going to try to play puck possession and, and go and hit guys every five seconds? No, it doesn't mean that. But it means that 
if the line before them isn't doing what the line has done all season and the line behind them now has to pick up the slack or they have to pick up the slack, things change. Opportunities and situations change. You play more time in different zones. You play more time with or without the puck. Things change, and I don't particularly like that when you're the best team in hockey. That's And that is the other issue. Um, you and I found ourselves on the same side of an argument on Twitter the other night. I have long said that I don't understand why first place teams or even teams that aren't in first place, but that are on like an insanely long hot, you know, like Philadelphia Flyers may not be in first place right now, but if they, you know, let's say they had been the ones to trade for Rick Nash, I wouldn't have understood that at all. You know, you had this really weak start. Well, I don't understand why Boston did it. And frankly, I am now convinced that they're not going to win the cup anymore. Unfortunately, you know, because of the way the playoffs are structured, anytime you take the field versus one team, your odds are <laughs> are right. stacked to be right. correct. So I don't feel yeah. too. I'm not taking a big gamble by saying I'll take the field. But yeah, anytime a team makes a significant change when they're either on a prolonged streak of playing well or the prohibitive, you know, favorites, top teams like, for example, Vegas or Tampa Bay. Um, the Ryan Reeves trade, however, is the one kind of trade where it's like he plays what six minutes a night, seven minutes a night in his previous stint. Um, but can you do that on this team? Well, I don't know because I don't watch it, and so I'll defer to your to your judgment. But generally speaking, if a team wants to sh- trade out one fourth liner for another, I'm I'm more comfortable that with that, know, right. just because it has fewer implications on the rest of the roster. Whereas if you, for example, Rick Nash, completely changes the shape of right. your lineup. Right, he's going to be right. he's going to be skating sixteen to twenty minutes, if not more displacing somebody that person displaces somebody that person displaces somebody all of a sudden all of your chemistry is different your expectations are different people are going to look to Nash to score big goals maybe they try a little not less hard but you know what I mean it it just it mucks everything up you're a completely different team whereas with this trade maybe not as much um but oh oh, I'll interrupt you I'll interrupt you and say this that that this team, whenever you ask somebody who's close to the Golden Knights, what do they do well, we say balance. Right. So if you say balance is your most important thing, and then all of a sudden you're saying tinkering with a fourth-line player is not all that important, are we not disagreeing with our own original point? I would think so. And and furthermore, uh, I don't know what Ryan Reeves – like I'm not entirely sure what Ryan Reeves brings to a team – that isn't already present in the Golden Knights lineup. Presumably they feel that there's something. I'm assuming it's, you know, toughness or... or... Yes, grit. Sure. So that's the sort grit, of thing... punching, punching ability. Basically, <laughs> right. what teams do after after the whistle and being able to stick up for somebody. I mean, there was there was an instance a little while ago, Marcia so went after a guy and he winds up, you know, being the enforcer on that day. and He's five foot two. And then yesterday or two days ago, Flurry had to hit the guy, hit a guy in the back of the right. head, and everybody's like, "Well, why is Flurry doing this?" That's the idea. But you're the best team in hockey, or at least right up there against it. Why do you think that this is necessary? All of a sudden, they've won those games. When teams do yeah. this stuff to them, they win. Well, and I'll take it one step further. And this is I was on I was I, I mean I, look I. As long as it's not going to be the Kings, I'm sort of rooting for the Knights at this point because I think it would be fascinating. Them or Winnipeg, just because Winnipeg is huge. And I think it would be hilarious if the biggest team in the league won 
in the year that everybody's talking about how speed and smaller guys are the future. But anyway, um, one of the reasons I was disappointed in the trade is everything Vegas is doing this year, uh, some of it by choice and some of it just by coincidence, is different. Right? Like, Vegas Golden Knights are doing things totally backwards, not conforming to expectations, and they're and they're winning and they're in first place and it's this unbelievable story and then the trade deadline comes along and they resort right back to what every team has ever done which is well you got to get yep. better it's like you, you're yep. not going to get better <laughs> you you literally no, what, can't what, win every game yeah. how do you get better you don't you're yeah. as good as you get let it roll and not to mention to bring take that a step further you have a general manager who has been in this spot over and over and over again in his career and he does the same thing at the deadline every single time yeah he makes a little tinker move on the back end of his of his top of or of his bottom six or his or his uh, bottom two pairing and he that's what he does and what winds up happening every single time his team flares out in the playoffs so that's what and i'm not saying that's what's going to happen i'm just saying that's what this guy's mo has been he's won president's trophies a number of times before he may win one again. He can't get over the hump. Try something different. Yeah, and it and it it comes back to me. I'm always sort of fascinated by the misuse of subjective terms. So words like better don't mean anything to me, you know. And this was the fight that we found ourselves in on Twitter the other night, where my argument was: every year the top team makes a trade, despite the fact that generally speaking it never works. The only I looked back and the only team I could find or think of that was in first place made a big trade and then won the Stanley Cup was in 2001, the Colorado Avalanche acquired Rob Blake. They they were in first place at the time of the trade. They finished in first place and then they went on to win the Stanley Cup. And I brought that example up to somebody yesterday and they said, "Yeah, but they were really good before that trade." So how do we even know if that trade really did anything? Like right. They probably would have won the cup anyway. And I was like, yeah, well, that's my point. Like, there's no, you can't get better than first place, right? The only thing you can do is, I suppose, compare winning percentages before the trade and after the trade and say, you know, if, you, if, if the Golden Knights go 20-0 and 0 after acquiring Ryan Reeves and then win the Stanley Cup, well, then I guess I have to concede that that trade made them better. Right, but right. <laughs> but if but if Vegas finishes the season first place in the Western Conference and does win the Stanley Cup, you won't ever be able to convince me that it's because they acquired Ryan Reeve, unless he scores like every game-winning goal. Right, even then, <laughs> but even then, you could make the argument that William Carrier would have done that instead. Yes, exactly, and so and so it's a sort of like the best you can do is push. So so why so why do it at all? I guess that's my question is if if the best you can do on a bet is push, you can't possibly win. <laughs> then why it's do it? It's not a good bet. No. no, it's not a very good bet. And and so I say like any team, you know, I'm looking at the league standings right now, Tampa, Vegas, Nashville are all within 2 points of one another, and then Winnipeg, Toronto are are 4 points behind Tampa, Boston's 5 points behind Tampa. And I realize that's not a tremendous gap, right? Boston is Five points behind Tampa and has two games in hand. So if Boston, so see these, there's another perfect example. I don't think Boston should have made that trade. But if we drop down one more spot to Washington, now Washington is ten points behind Tampa. 
that's where I say start tinkering with your lineup. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, the teams above you have clearly demonstrated that they are, you know, repeatably better than you. You have some sort of flaw in your lineup. So, sure, go ahead and fix it. But those top six teams, I don't know. And, you know, people are talking about Carlson to Tampa Bay. I can't think of a worse idea, frankly. Um, you're changing and, the style of the team. Yeah, well, and you're taking the arguably one of the best defensemen who plays, what, 28, 29, yeah. 30 minutes a game, and you're, and you're inside. I don't get it. I, I just think, yeah, I'm sure it works in basketball because basketball is a fundamentally different sport than hockey. Um, but I just don't think it works in hockey. And uh, like I said, most of the time just by virtue of how the playoffs work, I'm proven right, and I just don't understand. I get why fans like it, because for some reason fans find trades exciting. I find them sort of sad. I don't really like them. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, well, I'm glad you and I agree on this. It's nice to have someone who doesn't call me crazy all the time. Uh, well, it's, it's funny, because you normally I've always been a fan that does like trades, because it's like, oh, this this will be fun. We'll insert a new piece into the lineup, but Normally, I don't cheer for or follow or cover teams that are good. Normally, <laughs> the teams I'm following are terrible. So any help. There is one little caveat that I think can make sense to why you would want to add is if you're the best team, but a team two, three, four slots behind you, which is you have proven time in and time out that you're better than if they make the significant move. And that changes things for the good for them. Maybe you need to get slightly better. However, that's so unlikely, specifically in hockey, because of when the trade deadline happens. The trade deadline occurs with 20 games remaining in the season. Good luck fitting in a majorly different piece in 20 games and then playing an even different style of game after you just got used to playing those 20 games. Now you get to play a playoff series, which is completely different than the 82 you just played or the 20 you just played with your new player. It's It just doesn't work like that. Well, and I, and I never liked the the notion. Like, for example, I you know, the Vegas retained salary on the trade that sent the guy to Pittsburgh, right? And, and people were asking, well, why would Vegas agree to help Pittsburgh? And it was like, well, because if they don't, that guy's going out west. And will make one of Vegas's competitors stronger. So in that sense, I get the move. But there are a lot of teams that will, are, you know, you'll hear a rumor that, you know, well, they didn't necessarily want that guy, but if they didn't get him, he was gonna, you know, he was gonna go to their rival yeah. or something like that. Those are the kinds of trades, or or the one specifically you're talking about, where you, you know, becomes an arms race. Those are the ones that I really don't understand. Um, you know, there was a, a time where when the Kings were, you know playing quote-unquote heavy hockey. And it seemed like every acquisition that was made in the West was to try and keep pace with Anaheim, San Jose, and L.A. because they all had these big players. And I would just shake my head and go, no, don't don't trade to try and beat a specific team. Just try and make your team as good as possible. And I think that's yep. what happens now when people talk about, well, the future is speed and skill and, and smaller players. And it's like, no, it's not. There's just a handful of – there's just one or two teams, Tampa Bay, for example, who found the best eight guys under six feet. But that doesn't mean that every guy under six feet is just as good as their guys under six feet. Just go find the best players, and they'll be as tall as they're – and they'll be however tall they are. Like, don't worry about well, that. And, and fit them into what you do. Right. If the Kings went out and, and 
picked up Brendan Leipzig, it doesn't make a lot of sense. You don't want a little fast guy skating around who can't score. Can't well, I don't know why anybody would want Brendan Leipzig. I don't think that's a very, very good example in the first place. None, nonetheless, I, uh, uh, my point is that for Vegas to all of a sudden make a move that is, well, the playoffs get there's less time and space, so you right. need heavier guy. Like no, if the if if what the Golden Knights have done to this point doesn't work in the playoffs. Ryan Reeves is not fixing that. No one is fixing that. You're not going to win. If you continue to play your style and it doesn't work in the playoffs, you lose. Goodbye. See you next year. That's how this works. You, You cannot just radically change or have multiple systems or have multiple styles of play. There are very few teams throughout the history of any sport that can just turn around what they do because they're playing a different a different team. The best teams play their game and their game is better than everyone else. One of the uh, one of the things you said was that you're not used to rooting for teams that are that are good or out in first place. And you know, what I guess in a broader sense what we're talking about is um is f- foresight and uh and and intuition in how to in how to make decisions and one of the things that fascinates me about you personally is that you saw the potential for a team in Vegas, and before it had even happened, you carved out your plot and you claimed the corner um, as the you know sort of premium fan uh, I, I blog sounds too dismissive of what it is you yeah, do. Yeah, we but like I don't to ha- call it a website. There yeah. we go. The the premier blog site on mean. the net. Yeah, they, uh, yeah. I get called blogger when I do TV hits on the Kings, and I'm like, I'm not really a blog. But anyway. Um, <laughs> But I want to. But I want to ask you, what is it about you, and what was it about that scenario that that made you decide to to carve out that space before the team even existed? I like to do things that are slightly different than what normal people would do. I kind of have always kind of just been slightly. I don't. I don't think it's weird. It probably is weird, but I. I just. I don't see. You know, I've done I've done this type of a thing with other teams, but then you wind up in a watered down space and you or I've been on the radio or I've done podcasts and it's always you're just one of many. At the time, the idea was, well, there's nothing here. And then, you know, the, the, the real idea was, well, if we start this now, is there a chance that we can end up with a press pass or two to every single game forever. That seems pretty good. (laughs) So that was a pretty good start. But then my thought was, well, one of the things that's been missing throughout my entire career is a bad word, but my history of trying to, to write slash podcast slash cover, whatever it happens to be has been access. You, you don't have the access unless you're, employed by the team or you're employed by a magazine or you're employed by a radio station or in some form someone has there's someone above you Mm -hmm. so my thought was well if we can carve out the niche before anybody else does maybe we can put ourselves in a place where we're seen as important enough to be let in and then we can kind of go wild and that's what we've done we've been able to do things with players or talk to players or have interactions with coaches and general managers, or in my case, the owner that you don't have if you aren't, if someone is looking over your shoulder. 
So it was kind of that. And then the, the idea is simply that my, the, the main reason why I thought, well, this can actually work is 10,000 people put down money for a team that didn't exist. And every single time I would look for news of that team that doesn't yet exist, it would be week old, two week old, three week old, whatever. It was very challenging to find. And my thought is 10,000 people gave up between 150 and a thousand dollars for something. They're probably going to want to read about it. Maybe I can find a, a way to, to give them the information. That right there, I think is the, is the message that I want to focus on because um, while I am still adapting to my role <laughs> with the Kings, which I certainly never anticipated growing up, um, one of the things, one of the pieces of advice I give to people when they ask me, you know, how did it happen or how do you do it or whatever, um, I, I always say 10 years ago or seven years ago, there were over two dozen Kings blogs, right? Everybody had a blog. Um, everybody wanted to, you know, speak their mind about this team that was slowly loading up with good players. And, you know, I think of myself as a fairly decent writer, but I don't particularly enjoy it, but I also wanted to say my piece. And I like listening to podcasts and there, and there was a, a void of King's podcast. So I started a King's podcast and, and, and I think what you're saying is exactly right, which is find the void in the marketplace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and try and fill it rather than doing what everybody else is doing. And, and that's the link I'm getting back to with the trade deadline, which is <laughs> I wish teams, I wish there was one team that would say everybody else, you know, throughout history has fallen prey to this trap of trying to improve the deadline. We're not gonna, <laughs> you know, we're like, if Tampa doesn't make any trades, I will just be so impressed with them. Um, but I'm afraid they imagine will. if Vegas sold. I, I mean, it would be it would just be brilliant. <laughs> it's just because I mean, I mean, we you, don't know if it would have worked, but it, it would have been interesting if all of a sudden James um, Neal walked and they got prospects for the future. Would have been interesting. But you didn't give up any any roster players for Reeves, right? No, they didn't give up. Well, they gave up Tobias Lindbergh, but he actually is still on the Chicago Wolves because where I think he went to Pittsburgh. They're like, yeah, we're good. So, so I mean, there, it's entirely possible that Reeves could just be a healthy scratch, right? I thought the same until, and again, this oh, goes until back he wasn't? to, <laughs> well, no, until, uh, you know, I wind up getting access to coaches and get to ask the questions that normal people wouldn't get to ask. And I just flat out said, is this guy going to play all the time? And he said, that's the plan. Hmm. General manager said it. Coach said it. He's playing tomorrow. Well, there you go. I guess that answers that. But right. again, so fourth it, it, line. That's player, what I so. thought. Maybe it's a roster dump. Maybe it's a roster dump. Maybe it's okay. Well, th- to help get this deal done, not only do we need to hold a portion of Derek Broussard's salary for the next two years, but we also need to clear out one and a half million dollars of extra space. Why don't we just check Ryan Reeves, who plays three minutes into this, and is probably going to get pushed out of the lineup? Then I started talking to the guys in charge who made the decision, and it's not that. They think he's going to help. Now, in November, uh, I think you guys were still adjusting to the idea that the team was actually competitive. And I think <laughs> I think you were starting to come around to the idea that you wanted them to sell. Uh, how do you feel now? It, selling who? 
I leave it up to you. Selling. I mean, if, if I well, wave if, my magic, you're the GM wand, and all of a sudden you're the GM. What do you do at this deadline? I would have done nothing. I would have just sat. Love that answer. Still. Now, granted, <laughs> now I would have. I take that back. I I would have assisted the Derek Brassard deal, and I would have asked for a second round pick and a player to make sure that we utilize the cap space. The, the Golden Knights had two of their retained salary slots, and they have like $7 million of cap space. Uh, utilize it. You know, you, you thought at the beginning of the year you were going to sell off Neil and Perron and Spisa and Marcheseau. Those, that was the plan. Well, you're not going to do that anymore, but you still have an asset there in cap space that is use it or lose it. So use it. You know, like I, I said to a number of people, like it's it's basically like finding money in the couch or finding <laughs> a beanie baby that's all of a sudden worth something. Like you didn't know you had it a minute ago, and now you have a fourth round pick from Vancouver. That's excellent. Where I have a problem is now you actually added someone who you think is going to help. I would have preferred use the cap space, assist some deals, keep players away from certain places. So if you told me they had they got the fourth round pick. But the principal point of the deal was to keep Derek Broussard off of Winnipeg. I'm in. They steal. Good job. You use something that you didn't think was you you didn't isn't going to make any difference to you. It's a use it or lose it thing. And believe me, Bill Foley doesn't give a crap (laughs) if they make give up money. He does not care. So so do it. And that's what I think they may wind up doing by the time the deadline is all said and done here is they may wind up getting in the middle of another deal. And utilizing the rest of the cap space and in acquiring another asset. That's what I would have done. That being said, now that I saw a couple of games with James Neal not in there and looking around and seeing you're probably getting a first and a second and a prospect for a rental, uh, I might make that move. And I hate to say that, but man, the, the market is nuts. Yeah, it's a bit crazy. And I, again, I never understand you, why. How do you sell that guy off? Well, I, I, I could never be a gem. I, I would never, you know, I'd spend an hour in the bread aisle just trying to decide what kind of bread I want. I, <laughs> but um, but, you look but, at that little sticker in the corner <laughs> that shows what the price is by ounce, and you're like, damn, do I want the larger loaf or the smaller loaf? I get caught up difference. on seven grains versus whole wheat, and I'm just like, I, they look like the same loaf to me. I don't get it. Mm. <laughs> um, but, I, need, I need the seventh grain. But I, um, have it. but I never understand how the markets can shift so wildly. Like the players are, you know, every year the players are good. And every year, you know, you're separated by roughly the same amount of points from first to last. I don't, I don't quite get it. But um, one last. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's just supply and demand, isn't it? It's just how many people are going after I the guess. pieces. And then how many people are actually making serious offers. I, and, and it also comes down to, in this, this case, specifically the Carlson deal. Every single team out there knows he ain't going to wind up in Ottawa moving forward. Yeah, So they true. kind of have their backs up against the wall. So the price changes on him where Rick Nash, they could have gotten away with hanging on to him for a little bit longer. So I guess just supply and demand, right? I suppose. I, it's just between the draft and, you know, like you look at a, a team like Cal. Like let's look at Calgary. Uh, let me pull up the standings again. Um, I gotta switch it over to conference, but Calgary, St. Louis, Minnesota, Dallas, Colorado, maybe San Jose, LA, all of those teams. Um, I look at them and I go, okay, how many of them are realistically as good as Winnipeg, Nashville, Vegas, 
Tampa, Boston, and I'm not really sure how good Toronto is, but certainly their their ceiling is pretty high. This year, how good are those teams, right? Like, I don't think Calgary can win the Stanley Cup. I don't think Dallas can win the Stanley Cup this year. And, I mean, look, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think St. Louis can win the Stanley Cup. So if I'm one of those teams, overpaying to get marginally better, to me, seems like an awful idea. Completely agree. It just seems like a terrible, terrible idea. Yeah, it's just stupid, yeah. And, And all you can do is push. Right, right. And so if, now if, if there's a situation out there like in 2012 where you're the Kings and you have one one position of supposed strength that is actually a hidden weakness in your defense and you have a and you can trade it to another team, you know, and get stronger on offense and also get stronger on defense, right? Like that was the hidden trick behind the yep. Jack Johnson for Jeff Carter trade is the Jack Johnson was actually not as good as people thought. If you can pull off a trade like that, well, man, go for it. <laughs> you know, or I, I think, who did the Kings trade for Gabrick? I think Matt Fratton or something, <laughs> something like that. Um, so if, you know, if Calgary can somehow trade, you know, an AHL player for Eric Carlson, well, yeah, go sick. <laughs> you know, go, go nuts. But I don't, but trading like two firsts and a second and a, and a top prospect. You know, the rumor now is that the Kings are going to trade to Foley, uh, Gabe Velarde, their 18-year-old beast, Ugh. who's scoring two points a game in juniors, um, to Montreal for Max Pacioretty. And it's like, why would a bubble team trade a 25-year-old 25 goal scorer and their 18-year-old first-round draft pick for a 30-year-old, you know, I think one of the more over... Like, he's a good player, but I think he's slightly overrated. Um, no, I shouldn't say because that. Because he has one more year in his contract. Yeah, and he scored why. 30 goals three times. But Toffoli could be a – you know what I mean? Like, I, it's just – it's now, having I'm said that, you. I'll I'm wake up tomorrow morning and the Kings will have completed the trade and I'll have to edit this part out of the podcast. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I just don't understand any of that. And one last annoying question to tease you before I let you go. Let's say that Vegas does win the Stanley Cup. Are they going to be allowed to to carve Golden Knights on the cup, or are they going to have to use their new name after the loss? <laughs> I think they'll be all right. the The owner of the team is, uh, if there's one thing he is not, and that is short in the wallet, <laughs> he will he will make this work whether whether it works or not. He's uh, however legally it has to happen. There will eventually be the Bill Foley uh, Hall in on West Point's campus, and there will probably be a <laughs> Bill Foley Library somewhere in where is it uh, Saint Rose College or wherever the <laughs> heck that is, they will figure it out. They'll they'll be just fine. That being said, uh, I think he kind of still wants the team to be knights, and I think eventually they might wind up being knights, but not anytime soon. Well, I'd be perfectly happy with that, and I'd be her- perfectly happy if you changed your primary logo. But other than that, I'm I've why I don't like it. What can I tell you? Um, but I don't I, like you. I love the jerseys, uh, especially the road jerseys. I love the white gloves. And, Fantastic, uh, yeah, and everything like that. Did and you see uh, that the Leafs stole the white gloves? No other team had ever worn white gloves, and then the Pacific Division All Stars wear white gloves, which I was I allowed in my own mind <laughs> because because James Neal got to wear them, sure. so, so I was fine there. But now Stadium Series. Toronto's wearing white gloves and white pants. That I mean, I'm 
I love white gloves, so more white gloves we can get, I'm fine with it. Plus, I'm from Toronto, so I'm all right with it. But this raises one last, one more last question. Uh, I didn't speak to you about the All-Star game, but were you at all miffed that they sent Neil and Fleury and not somebody like Carlson or Marcheseau? Yeah, well, it was ridiculous because the NHL doesn't really care about making stars. They only care about furthering their previous stars. That's the answer I wanted to hear. <laughs> All right, Just perfect. Stupid. <laughs> well, I agree, but hey, <laughs> I don't get to make these decisions. Ken, I want to thank you very much for joining me. You got it. We've got back-to-back games: Kings versus Golden Knights. Monday night, Tuesday night, home and home. The deadline is to, well today for most of you listening to this. Uh, Ken, it's been a pleasure. Maybe we'll talk again before the season's over. <laughs> Always look forward to it. I hope there's a playoff series in our future. Oh, man. I, it, you know what? It's ridiculous. I was going to the game on Thursday night, and uh, I was going with uh, with some friends rather than, than as a, you know, a, a, sitting in the press box. And we, we grabbed an Uber, and we're Ubering over there, and they're all asking me, you know, who's good and who isn't, and, you know, what's going on with this Vegas team. And all of a sudden, it occurred to me, it's entirely possible that the first round is Vegas versus Kings. Yes, it is. So that would be fantastic. <laughs> That would be amazing. Suddenly, I'm very excited for that possibility. I, I would try and go to every game, and, uh, and I, I would hope that you and Me I could, uh, could share another <laughs> chat over a Wendy's. <laughs> or is that, was that where I'm we good. wound up? I don't even remember. Yeah, yeah Wendy's. Yes, we right. did. Perfect. Right on Dean Martin there. Perfect. Looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Ken, and thank you, Kings fans. We'll talk to you soon.